Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I'm speaking with Madi Das, and he has been nominated for a Grammy again for his uh, New Age chant album. Um, that's the category, I maybe mean, we'll talk about that. So very exciting to be talking with him. Um, Dave Stringer was the producer on that, and I also did an episode with him. I'll just read you a little bit about Madi Das, and then we'll begin the chat. Um, so he was born to an American mom and German dad. Uh, Madi Das grew up in the Vaishnava tradition of bhakti yoga. At age seven, he went to boarding school in India, where he studied sacred chants, became fluent in Hindi. Ooh, that's cool. And made lifelong friends. Now living in Melbourne, when he's not sharing music with his community, he works in film production. In 2015, his debut album, Bhakti Without Borders, was nominated for a Grammy, and Mantra Americana is his long-awaited follow-up album. It's such a great album, and that's the one that was just nominated. So here we go. Let's get into it. Thank you, Porter. Uh, so happy to be able to speak with you today. Yeah, me too. You have this like beautiful glow streaming in. in your uh, okay. Yeah, this is, I can't <laughs> avoid the sunshine, but I'm just cold. So I'm just enjoying it on my back. It's hard to avoid the sunshine in uh, Australia, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's also like summer there, no? Yeah, so it, it's it's a bit of a pivot, but yeah, being in the Southern Hemisphere, Christmas time and the holidays, when you hear all of the carols that have, you know, a white Christmas and snow and let it snow, it's not the case down here. We're very much a go to the beach, uh, have picnics, uh, you know, shirts off, swimming, summertime, holiday season. That's really sweet. That's cool. Is Is that something you've been doing for a while, living in Australia? Yeah, so um, I, my family and I moved down here in 2015, so um, seven years now. This is uh, so the kids were really young when they moved, and now they're turning into teenagers. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, um, I I love Melbourne. I happened to be there for the Commonwealth Games um, oh, a while ago. This must have been like 20. 2008 or something 2009 maybe but it was such a fun time to be there and i i uh, i'd always wanted to go to australia you're like just a yeah can you i think i need to move because it's like you can't see anything this is kind of ridiculous it's like it's like you're all orb <laughs> let me just fix it okay i think that's a bit better um, that's great that's great i mean it was sort of like it was sort of like a godly spiritual like it was, it was too much <laughs> the second coming of mighty dust <laughs> yeah um well we're actually gearing up for the commonwealth games uh, which are going to be hosted in in in, a, in the state where melbourne is uh, in a couple of years now so that's oh. full circle it's it's a hugely sp sporting um country big on yeah, out, yeah. outdoors and swimming and the Olympics. It's a, it's a very big part of their Oh, right. It's a sports thing. This, so this is really silly. It, that's not what I experienced at all. Um, I experienced the art festival that they did along with it. Ah, okay. Yeah. No, the, the Commonwealth games, the no, games parts yeah. is the sport. Yeah. But when I think about being there, I think about like all these cool entertaining entertainment things that were going on. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. Okay. So, well, maybe I should head back again. That sounds like fun. Are you, um, you do sound like you grew up in the States though. 
So that's this is a weird international accent that, you know, military army brats and people who went to boarding school or international schools have. My mom is American, um, so that's part of the kind of semi-American part of the accent. But um, my father is German um, and I grew up somewhere between India and Ireland uh, in my formative years. I did I did a couple of years in, in Pennsylvania at a school there when I was five. Um, so there is some American DNA coming through my, <laughs> my voice and you hear it in my music. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I had an international gr- background as well. So I knew a lot of kids who would flip between accents sometimes. Do you like have an Irish accent that you pull out sometimes? I, I can do many I- accents, including many Irish accents. Um, <laughs> I, I, I Usually I have to put them on, so it's intentional. However, when I speak with Indian uh, people, I kind of slip into English, which is half Hindi, and half English with an Indian accent, and yeah. all my coworkers in my at my office are, are not sure what's happening. They're like, <laughs> "Why are you speaking on the phone?" Oh, I'm talking to India, and we learned English with an Indian accent, and so that's how we communicate. I, I had to learn uh, an American accent kind of when I went back to the states when I was 18, but I did, I couldn't hear it. I was learning from Indian teachers, and that I was like, "What accent?" I, this is my accent. <laughs> That's so funny. My my best friend in college was from New Delhi, and she I, she told me about how she thought it was so strange that people thought she had an accent. She's like, "You have an accent." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, well, "Well, this is the my native accent," and they're right. like, "Okay, listen, I we get that you like The Simpsons and you're trying to do a poo. <laughs> you do a really good accent." I was like, "This is my accent." That's so funny. So when you're talking to people on the phone, you're talking to like other kids that went to school with you? No, no. Well, so uh, my my day job uh, or how I pay the bills is I work for the local state government film commission. And so part of that is uh, bringing film and television productions to film in Melbourne, Australia. So when I'm talking to Indian producers, it's just natural to um, just slip into english or hindi sometimes and so that just kind of happens oh gotcha okay so the two worlds collide but it's they not do. they do yeah well yeah not unnaturally i mean i'm at work and they're like okay who's going to talk to the indian producers well maybe the guy who speaks indian grew up there <laughs> and probably understands a lot of the social norms and and yeah like ways of communicating that are not just linguistic too like also the ways of making things in india is very different from the west Mm. so it's a whole different production language that you kind of have to understand how how it's a little more fluid and and not not necessarily as as rigid as the way they make things in hollywood gotcha well so i'm just i didn't realize that you had a film background too but dave also has a a film background and in india that's because he was i didn't realize that until i talked to him on this podcast but that's what he was telling me about yeah well yeah so we both share a few different love languages uh one is that we both um, had a background in film i went to usc for film and my whole you know career has been in film and television production um but we also share kind of a love of western style music that also clashes up against indian music um and and um we're also very kind of practical um which it sounds like sure um but a lot of artists are not you know so (laughs) there's a lot of artistic exploration that doesn't see the light of day but dave dave's very and i'm kind of from the german side of me like okay what's the deadline what's the next step how are we gonna 
turn something that's an idea into something that's a real thing. Mm. Yeah, cool. Well, speaking of which, so this is the second time that an album that you two have created together has been nominated in what is now called the New Age Chant. Yeah, well, so that's right. So Dave and I have collaborated. We collaborated uh, seven years ago on Bhakti Without Borders. Um, he was the producer on that. Uh, and it was an album of duets for charity where we featured 11 female artists singing with me and donated all of the profits to fund education for girls in India. That was a, an album that was nominated for a Grammy. But at the time, um, the only category where, you know, these types of albums were Prashadas' album and Jayatal's album were nominated is in the new age category because mm -hmm. they didn't know where to put it. And it's kind of like, okay, well, Ravi Shankar, the Beatles, wishy-washy <laughs> something, new age. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we obviously didn't win. We were we were just happy to be representing um, Kirtan there. Uh, but I think part of the, the growing sense over the years has been that that really from not just chant artists in the mantra music, uh, Vaishnav tradition, Bhakti tradition, but from from uh, artists around the world who who take, you know, Eastern or any kind of traditional ancient chant, that that music is being mis, mis, um, misidentified as as new age, uh, mm -hmm. when it's essentially, essentially quite old age. It's probably some of the oldest music tradition in the world. Um, so we did collaborate with Sean Johnson and um, uh, Catherine Marie Charlton and several other uh, people contributed to a proposal to change the name so that it uh, it includes the the term chant um, and ambient because uh, there's a lot of ambient artists who work in quite avant-garde soundscapey stuff that isn't really new age music so um, that's a big change that's come in this year and the category is now now named um, new age ambient or chat album and we've been nominated a second time and yeah. my second collaboration with dave uh this time he's also an artist on the album he features he plays so many of the instruments and he features in the vocals um so we're both excited to be back at it again i guess yeah it's a it's a really wonderful album i i mean i i really i contacted you because i had been listening to it so much and i was like oh i'd really love to um to talk to him yeah, it's it's really, I don't know, it's accessible, it's pretty, it's, you know, it's meditative, it feels good. Like, I just, I've, I've been really enjoying it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was intimidating to follow up a, a de an, a nominated album with like, what's your next thing? Um, and uh, also moving country with my family, you know, just took a while to get back to music. But the pandemic really allowed us to kind of focus and and Dave was grounded he couldn't go anywhere so he was prisoner and you know had no choice but to collaborate with me on this we had been talking about it before the pandemic about doing a follow-up and I'd, I'd been working on songs um but really this time you know I think it, it the just the process of being in isolation allowed us to take a few more risks um leave a few more mistakes in uh, if you will um you know uh take things out put them in just have fun um and and try and make something that we wanted to make we don't you know we didn't have a label saying you need to make this we had complete freedom to just make what the music in our hearts was 
Um, and so we're really happy with the way it turned out. I think really at, at its heart, it's, it's, it's Dave and I and kicking ideas back and forth, but then we have these amazing, you know, harmony musicians, uh, um, like Justin and Tulsi and Allie and then, you know, James Hera and Justin Corbin and Patrick Ritchie coming back from the first album just really has a, a warm hug of a sound that, um, just kind of evolved naturally. And you were doing all of this long distance, right? You were in Australia. I haven't seen, I haven't seen anyone. <laughs> yeah, it still haven't. I like haven't seen Dave since before the pandemic and I haven't met anyone else are in your life apart from Ali. Are, are you going to the ceremony? Um, yeah, I'd like to. I think we're, that we're planning on it. Um, so we'll see, yeah. Well, I haven't booked my ticket yet is, yeah. is the short answer, but I'd like to go. <laughs> yeah see everyone and celebrate the music what 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 did you feel like when you when you got the news like what what was that experience like um i think it's it was strange sef second time round because uh, it's always first thing in the morning when i wake up and all of a sudden text messages start flooding in um but uh at the same time i i felt really um excited for uh for for chant music because i think you know being the first year that chants rec represented in the name of the category that we're we're nominated in to be be representing um you know our our, our community was really special um and so i am conscious that you know on some level this is a a nomination for this album but on another level it's a nomination for um mantra music and kirtan and, and bhakti music yeah 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 that is true and there were there were so many like it's there were so many albums that were in the running that were chant in that i mean because i you know i read it and i i voted um which was pretty exciting too i think that there were just so many people submitting. yeah well, I think that's part of the work that um, Dave and Sean uh, and them are doing with the Oracle Collective. We're really trying to build the presence um, and encourage um, chant musicians, mantra musicians, kirtan artists to to get involved. Because um, if you're, you know, not involved, you're, you're out of sight, out of mind, and it's it's it, they don't know you're there. Um, and it's it's a strange thing a little bit because really the primary way our music is experienced is live. It's not the recorded version. The recorded version is kind of a memorialization, almost like a take-home CD that you buy at a concert to remind you of that fun time you had, the live experience. Um, but I think it is a, a wider reaching or... Um, instantly anytime accessible version of of the tradition and the mantras are there just still as powerful um you don't necessarily get the same uh you know that electric vibe when you're in a room full of people who are singing their hearts out because you're making that music together um but it, it is a different and also um important way to to share that the music that i have i can't be everywhere at once uh, in the room would be great um and and, the, and so i think seeing you know shifting that focus to try and uh, get chant musicians to represent their art uh, but also at, on that level of the highest you know music award 
is is really important. And so it was really exciting to see all those artists kind of on the ballot this year and seeing, you know, so many different chant musicians, you know, eligible to be voted for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any sort of sense of how, like who, who that body is? Because I know we're, we're supposed to just vote in the, in the category that we work in. Mm. And I feel like I have a good sense of maybe like who the chant artists are or stuff, but I have no kind of idea of what the scope of that, you know, is it thousands of people? Is it hundreds of people? Is it hundreds of, you know, I have, do you have any sort of sense of it? Um, well, I think the Academy has a membership of somewhere between probably 15 and 20,000 people. They don't say, but you know, it, it really is, um, to be a member who votes you have to be an artist so you can be an engineer or a producer or but a recording artist it's not it's not labels or promoters so it that's the whole um prestige of it is that it's your peers who are who know music um and like music and understand it uh, who, who are voting um specifically the, the they there's a rule that you should be voting in the fields or you're only allowed to vote in three fields um and that's a, that's a way to try and keep people voting who have knowledge of the actual genre that you're making the music in um so you know i of those 15 or 20,000 people how many are actually voting in new age there's 80 categories you know or 80 yeah. fields so um, you know, it's probably a lot less who vote in that. Um, obviously, the artists who are in it will vote in that field because they usually, you know, at least vote for yourself. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple of related fields like, you know, global music is it has a little bit of crossover, contemporary instrumental. There's similarities in the genre between New Age and that, that, that you know, people who vote in those those fields probably stick to that area. I'm totally guessing. I don't think that's a published <laughs> published thing, but I think yeah. I think it's somewhere about that. So, do you do much live nowadays? Yeah, I almost every Sunday. Um, sometimes at least this last weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and two gigs on Sunday. Um, we're not talking about major, but just intimate. You know, with either with friends or the local temple or um, yoga studio uh, as much as possible. Um, and my daughter as well, as she's learning music. So it's good to also give her a shot on the mic and bring her up in the tradition. So it's it's, it's something that is very much a part of my, my practice and my life. Registration is now open for the January songwriting series. It will be five sessions starting Tuesday, January 3rd. And this will be for people, not necessarily musicians, who have been wanting to write a song. Songwriting has been an instrumental part of my own processing and healing. And so I wanted to share this as a way, as a vehicle for you to get that inner world of yours and turn it into something tangible. This is such an amazing example of how thoughts can become things about how we can manifest something from our inner world into our reality as song as music as an offering so if this is something that you would like to explore with me and others who will be joining you can go to portersinger.com community because you were brought up you were telling me before we started but maybe we should mm. fill everybody in who hasn't heard your other interview but you were well i guess i also read that but i mean you you were brought up in the vaishnava tradition the vaishnava is that how you would say it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the, the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. Um, 
to get technical, but yes, I, you know, my parents um, were Vaishnavs and I was born in a Vaishnav family and raised, you know, in kirtans my whole life every day. Uh, and then I went to, you know, uh, Vaishnav schools from the age of five. Um, and you in know, India from the age of five? No, uh, so in Pennsylvania, there was a school um, near Port Royal for two years, uh, and then in India from the age of seven. Wow, okay, wow. Did you come home, like, for vacations and stuff, or were you were you in India for, like, big jobs? No, the, yeah, I think in the summers when it was really hot, the school would send the, at least the white kids home. <laughs> Some of the Indian um, kids would stay. Uh but, you know, we would go home for the summer and then come back in after the monsoon. Um, so it would be once a year that you'd see your family. Wow. I, I almost feel silly asking if that was hard because it feels like that would be hard. Yeah, <laughs> Def <laughs> definitely hard. Um, and I think you spend the whole year dreaming about all the menus of what you're going to eat when you get home and what you're going to have your mom cook and, or, or what kind of your favorite snacks are. Uh, that. Um, some of the Western boys would, you know, get to see movies. And then because we didn't have TV or movies in India, then, you know, you'd spend the year telling the story. Tell me the story of Back to the Future. <laughs> and everyone, everyone would gather around and we'd all sit there and, you know, they would blow by blow tell you, oh, you told it better last time. Remember the part, you know, you've missed the part where Marty McFly, you know. And so uh, who's seen the Predator? Oh, we've seen the Predator. Look, just coming to theaters, not theaters, talk circles in India. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, all of those 80s movies, you know, we got to experience The Terminator, Indiana Jones. Uh, we got the spirit in the in the oral tradition. The audio book was live and well before the audio book was live and well. Oh, that's really funny. That's oh, so <laughs> That's funny. I also, I, I totally different experience. I, I had my parents there, but I grew up in France and I remember vividly like feeling the need, like just wanting to go back to the States because that's where all the things were, you know? But um, I, I went to Mexico with my kids recently for like four months and they, mm. they felt that longing too. But I was like, you guys, you have Netflix, you have YouTube, you know, like you have access yeah. to so many things that um, I would have dreamed of. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, in India, like the West, uh, the, the, the American boys would bring Tang. That was like a big thing, you know, Tang. And you put a little, little piece on your hand and you would lick, lick the Tang um or kool-aid oh. powder oh my god they would trade it like like contraband you could there was a whole black market trade in in in, in kool-aid that was happening because it was like this revolutionary powder that you could put into water and turn into a beverage it was amazing <laughs> uh, revolutionary powder i like that so what did you get from um that experience would you say um uh so many things. I think uh, resilience, probably survivalism. Uh, you could plonk me anywhere in the world and I'll probably figure out what to do. But culturally, I think um, language, I speak Hindi, I, I speak passable Bengali, understand Sanskrit, um, the festivals. And, and I mean, I guess Kirtan, as far as the soundtrack to my life was 
uh, hugely a part of uh, living in India, um, you know, festivals, uh, food, um, basically all my form formative years uh, were there. So, you know, it is, it's strange because, you know, if you look at me, I just look like your average Caucasian white dude. Um, but as far as how I self-identify or what's most native to me is I still feel most comfortable with Indian music and, and food and festivals and, and um, that whole culture of Lulu is a very much a part of my psyche. Yeah. The music that you recorded for this album, at least the, the newer one is, is definitely more Western kind of harmonies and, and chords and stuff like that. Do you, do you, when, when you play live or when you, are you working in, in Raga and stuff or do you prefer? Um, it, it's, Western so sound the live, live is very, a lot more traditional because, you know, I don't have, um, well, Dave plays so many instruments, even if I played live with Dave, he'd, we'd still need a full band complimenting to play all the instruments that he can only play one at a time. Um, but, you know, so usually when I do live, it's harmonium, merdunga, cartel, sometimes a guitar, sometimes a, a flute, um, you know, and, but as far as raga goes, the melodies and the tunes are, are very much that kind of what you're hearing on the album. So the, those are, those are melodies that are kind of a um, mishmash of Indian melodies that have kind of been funneled through the, you know, um, Western Vaishnava Bhakti tradition and been changed, transformed with, you know, sometimes I leave in uh, the Western pronunciation, just, you know, the R instead of the R, you know, just because it's a flavor and I, and, and I like it. And it, it's, it's, it's something that's, that's natural to, to me. So, you know, as far as the, the melody, all, all of that is, there's not much difference um, in my phrasing, uh, but really where uh, the, the, the collaboration with Dave has come in is re really, you know, we looked around and what are the instruments he plays? I don't I don't play a musical instrument. I play percussion. I play murgungam and cartel and cajon. Those are my kind of contributions. And then the melody. And then Dave, you know, um, is quite multi-talented. Uh, you know, he's played guitar. He plays the pedal steel. He plays harmonica. He plays organ. He plays piano. You know, he plays a dulcimer, oh. you know. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of that instrumentation, uh, you know, come from his background that, you know, are very Western, um, but also bring that kind of country flavor, bluegrass flavor. Um, and that's kind of the intersectionality of of the project is is we're melding. Both of us have we're both bilingual in the music traditions of East and West. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Bilingual in the music. I just have to. Yes, write that down. <laughs> if you see me typing, I'm not distracted. I'm just, I'm just making use of all of the wonderful things you're saying. Um, writing them down. Music traditions of East and West. I like that. <laughs> it's the. I. I, I think. Uh, we. We were calling it country and Eastern um, mantra American. <laughs> right. um, uh, but if you were to distill it down to edible uh, thing, uh, allegories, it's pie and chai. You know, American pie and Indian chai. It's kind of, they go nicely together, by the way, which is. I love that. Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Is there a big community of, um, 
Vaishnav, I feel, I'm sorry, I'm saying that. Is it Vaishnav, uh, Vaishnav? or yeah. Vaishnav? Uh, like Vaishnav. Vaishnav community in, in Melbourne? Yeah, there is. There's a, a large, um, some Western, but a lot, lot, lot of Indian Vaishnavs. Um, quite a large community here. There's also um, a farm community about two hours away uh, where they kind of, um, you know, they have a lot of cows and, and are doing farming, organic farming down there. Um, there's several farms in Australia, but also city communities. So it's, you know, it's probably not as big as it was in the heyday of, you know, the 70s and 80s, but, um, and, and a lot more um, Indian focused. I think that, that, you know, they've really taken up the, 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 the temples and, 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 and um, really uh, become part of it and, and uh, become involved. So I think it's, uh, but it, it, the tradition is, is alive and well in Australia. That's neat. Yeah. Is there, how, how does that kind of, I mean, cause I know every culture has kind of a different way of embracing its, its immigrants. Mm. And, like, what do you notice about that interaction between like, there's no real, I mean, there's, there are native Australians, but, <laughs> but I mean like the, the white Australians, I guess, like what, what's the interaction? It's a, um, it's a different, but compatible flavor. I think there is, you know, um, you know, a certain type of, seeker uh, uh, or in, in someone who's inquisitive and, and searching for um, spiritual meaning that um, connects to the philosophy and the tradition uh, here in Australia. And that's kind of how most of the non-Indian um, members connect. I think the Indian community, it's a, it's a heritage, it's a culture, it's, 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 um, it's almost like a, a home base where, you know, they're here out of their home country in this, you know, in Australia as a minority. Um, but here's a place they can go uh, to worship, to to get married, to have festivals, to bring their newborn babies. And so there's a, there's a deep uh, cultural connection for them. And, but they, you know, they all both, both kind of, cohorts exist um you know in harmony i think when i first came i was like oh wow um they thought i was like some white dude uh, which i am uh and i'm like don't you know i'm part of this tradition this is my <laughs> i feel comfortable here too um but over the years i think we've all just realized it's it's not relevant so much um what your ethnicity is uh we all share the same love of this culture and of bhakti and the tradition of um celebrating a, a personal aspect of god uh and connecting with each other through um singing and um praying yeah is that something that how much i put this given given how difficult the the experience of of being in, in india for you was there ever a time when you didn't want to be part of this or where you felt a little bit rebellious or angry or for sure um for sure um, well i think i would say i, I kind of dissect it uh, or delineate i'm not you know there was stages of my life where I'm not super religious, you know, as far as in the Latin sense of religio, the rules, um, you know, and that's a different thing, religion versus faith. Uh, 
and even culture. Um, so I've always, you know, even if I um, wasn't feeling, you know, that I was strictly wanting to be part of the whole religious aspect or the, 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 the there can be in, in uh, our tradition, but any tradition or any religion, organized religion, a lot of what can be overbearing uh, rules and regulations, some of them, you know, are driven by, you know, designs for power and control, which anytime you take something divine, but add a human element, <laughs> the ego creeps in and people are like, well, how can I use this for myself or to control other things? So all of that aspect is is what I think are, is uh, over the years thought of as less useful to my faith. I think it's that's not you know I think whenever you think of saints and God and and what's at the heart of tradition is is bringing people up, caring for your fellow um, man or woman, or uh, service to others. That that those are kind of the at the core of pretty much any um, religious faith. Uh, and that I've always kind of believed in. I think it's when you get the mortal um, ego involved that that some of this gets bastardized over centuries uh, or even in a short time where people are thinking of um, using that kind of sense of innocence or, or, or sincere desire to, you know, have a connection through faith uh, against them as a mechanism of control. And so... Um, I guess I'll say I've, I have varying degrees of religious interest over the years, uh, but really I think um, I've always kept the faith uh, on some level and definitely the culture has always been uh, uh, inseparable from my, my identity. Hmm. I don't yeah. know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, it's very complex, right? Like the, the ways hmm. that we, learn to self-identify i mean what we what we feel is home you know like it's it's hard to it's hard yeah. to see where that starts and we begin and you know um and that's a that's another thing with growing up in a boarding school where you pretty much have to say goodbye to your parents when you're when i was five essentially um and you know you move, we moved around a lot so where is home and, and for me and a lot of my cohort, it, it is the other kids who share that upbringing. That's the, that's the common denominator. And so we're, you know, I guess similar to people who, you know, go to the army or whatever, you know, when you come out, you still really crave, um, because you're a third culture, you're not, you know, someone who I'm, I'm living in America, uh, when I was living there, I'm not American and I don't really connect on that level with Americans. And if I go back to India, I'm not really Indian Indian. Um, and so the only other people who really get the Franken person culturally <laughs> that we are, are other, other kids who share that experience or, you know, other kids who, you know, like in the Kundalini tradition might have a, a similar experience. Um, it's also, you know, somewhat easy to relate to kids who grow up at international schools, um, you know that that just uh, third culture people are, are, are a unique breed. Mm. Um, they find it hard to fit in with anyone, but other people who are third culture on that yeah. level. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by by this particular aspect of of what you said because I I remember falling or happening upon a video of this Japanese girl whose parents were British. Sorry, so she was a British girl who had grown up in Japan, so she doesn't look Japanese, and 
I was just visualizing like what that experience would be for you based on like this video that I watched. But when I was in France, I could pass for French. I don't look non-French, you know, like mm. there's about me where they're like, there's no way you're French, you know, because I sound French, I could be French until they hear my parents, then they're like, you're not French. But but I could pass, but you can't pass as Indian. <laughs> I would imagine just as she can't pass as Japanese, but you but it, it must be such a such a, an interesting kind of nuance about that whole experience that you feel something that you could never inhabit. It's it's interesting because, um, you know, because I speak Hindi and I learned it at a young age, I don't really have an accent. And so I would Indians would, would look at me like on a train or in a train for long hours and I look Western and then I would speak to them in Hindi and they're like, oh, I thought you were Western. You must be from Kashmir or somewhere. Right. And and they would make the loop, the leap to my ethnicity based on how I sound really quickly. Um, and then when I'd moved to America and I had this weird Indian accent, they'd be like, we don't know, you know, <laughs> what to do with you because <laughs> you look one way, you sound some way, but we don't have anywhere to place you. Um, I think it it, it 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 was never in doubt that I was not that I was like a Indian when I was in school though I think it was very clear I was pretty pasty white and getting sunburnt and, and so um and you know I didn't speak to many people outside the school so they would just see western kids going and they would be pretty pretty um uh, emotionally happy I think I would say that's something about Indians it's a generalization but uh, in my experience there's been nothing but joy that you know someone from another culture is really sincerely trying to learn your culture taking the time to learn your language um, and adopt all of those customs there's never been any sense that who are you coming to my country and and trying to, to do this I think they're really welcoming that's that's nice <laughs> must be nice <laughs> yeah 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 um wow what an what an sorry just what what an amazing uh life experience your your kids obviously have a very different life experience yeah. how you've given them a very different experience was that were, were you kind of consciously trying to make it a little easier for them or <laughs> um uh look i don't think yeah, I mean, go, having it was a it was a austere experience, um, and I think those schools are better now. There are still our school uh, ashram schools in India, um, but I, I don't think we would uh, send. We we had a choice not to send our kids. I think there's just not enough supervision. Is the short explanation of like to send uh, put your kid on the other side of the world when um, I kind of want to have that connection. You know, yeah. if, if you're you know, outsourcing your parenting, you kind of miss out on their childhood and then wonder why you don't have a relationship when you're an adult. And that's something that I kind of, with my parents, uh, has been a product, you know, I still have parents, but I kind of, they're these weird, not that they're weird, they're, in my yeah. mind, the relationship is is somewhat, you know, at arm's length, because in my mind, they're uh, an idea of someone, a parent that lives somewhere else. And we've missed out on all those formative years of connection. Um, and so you you don't really get, you can't really get that back in the same way by, hey, I'm ready to be a parent now that you're in your 20s. This just doesn't happen. Um, you need to kind of be there for all those 
you know, bruises and scrapes and first boyfriends or, you know, my, you know, all of those, that's part of parenting. Um, and so we, we decided to, you know, raise them in the West and take them to the temple and preserve whatever traditions we can, but they're growing up in, in a normal school. Um, part of that was also because it was super hard to come out of somewhere like India and then be faced with such a deficit in social cultural capital where you just, you're like, you just came from the moon and know nothing about, you know, Oh, you know, I know, marty mcfly you know a couple of different <laughs> touchstones but you know so much you, it's just such a hard gap to bridge um without anyone expecting like if you if you were an indian coming to to america in your 20s people go oh there's, there's a cultural lack of understanding that that people are accommodating but if you look white and they're like why are you such a encino man we don't you know this is you know and so i, I think that you know looking at wanting to get an education in university and, and be able to fit in if you want to uh, in a workforce. I, I think it was just something that it was hard for me and I'd probably want different for my children. Yeah. When you were saying that, I was thinking it's so ironic, actually, because when you went to school in India and when a lot of the kids that I know who went to school in India, there was there was no FaceTime, there was no Zoom. There, I mean, so <laughs> the you know, the fact that you're having this realization that there's no supervision, like it was so much less when you went as well. I mean, I don't know if that's an irony, but it's, it's just, it's a stark, yeah, it is irony. It's a stark difference, right? Like you're, you feel the pang of the lack of supervision and yet you have so many more resources than, you know, than we're at, we're at our disposal. Yeah. I, I don't know if the schools in India let you FaceTime your kid, you know, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think, you know, even all Email. of that, it's not, it's not the same as supervising what's happening what's, when you're not on FaceTime um, or being able to be there for them. I think that that's a huge, it does affect you on a deep psychological level of not having that safety net of your parents. I think, you know, primarily humans, it's where they turn uh, when you run into difficulty in your childhood and to not have that, um, you know, the pros and cons, right? You learn to really be self-sufficient, self-reliant, but at the same time, you know, it does come at the cost of being vulnerable and sensitive and, um, and having a relationship with your parents. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So did did Australia feel, I mean, Australia feels different than the United States. Um, does it feel a little bit more like home in terms of like the way people are culturally? Are they a little bit more community oriented than in the United States? No, That's no, I think they're worse. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think Australia uh, has a very frontiers uh, like uh, element to the psyche where it's like, we're here this is my area. Um, and for you know, <laughs> Yeah, I think Americans have it. There is a kind of neighborly, have people over, show up with a casserole, greet the new neighbors vibe. We're here, it's it's a little bit more, hey, you know, spend, if we've know, known each other like, for seven years, like you can come. <laughs> yeah. The 60s. Well, I mean, it's, it's, but it is, you know, they're quick to talk to you at the checkout aisle in America and, you know, say hi and stuff. Whereas it, here it's a little bit more along the British line of a bit, bit more conservative. 
um and it takes a while to to break through and you know be invited to someone's home um so uh I think that that was, you know, finding our community, our tribe, our community down here was super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. As you describe that, I'm like, I feel like I live in the Melbourne of the United States then, because that's sort of like... <laughs> back. Well, I mean, depends. Where do, where do you live? Are you in I a frontier I live near state? Seattle. No, no, uh, I live near you? Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think maybe it's just the idea, um, but I do think... Uh, at least superficially Americans are, you know, they like to talk and say hi. And, you know, um, there's a kind of puritanical, what's the Christian pastoral care, you know, obligation to the, to the community. Whereas um, Australia is a lot less religious hmm. uh, than America uh, and a lot more kind of, you know, it come, it's just something that deep rooted comes from, you know, being in the new world and, all of a sudden having to stake your claim and, and defend your, your, your borders. Yeah. They're very strong about immigration. They're very strong about, um, you know, trespassing and all of that's a real, this is mine. Okay. Um, well, I used to live in Phoenix and people were very friendly there. Like very, mm -hmm. so I think it depends where you are in the States, but yeah. Yeah really wanted to talk to you like everywhere everywhere you go and then if you go to the south then it's like people really want to talk to you <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. not even like chit chat it's like you're having a whole conversation with the person at the store um which i i kind of like mm. yeah so thank you so much for for uh doing this um yeah is there yeah. anything else i think we talked about a lot of lot a lot of <laughs> other stuff covered a fun. lot of ground here um was there something else that you wanted to mention about you know your music or um anything else that's going to be going on or no bad? oh well uh yes actually so you know this is only half of the project we recorded 11 songs um and so there's a whole second half of mantra americana that's going to be coming out next next year um so you know i think we we thought we'd break it up uh, into two small eps rather than releasing everything at once as a way of the first album or, or this album can can be a bit of a teaser or promote this the, the second one as well so there's if you like the first five songs there's more where that came from and we're excited to be working on that for release next year oh wonderful well, that's good news and if people want to stay in touch with you or find out more about you i will put a link in the show notes where should they go do that um i think Probably if, if you go to bhaktiwithoutborders.com, it's probably the simplest because that has a link to our Instagram and both, uh, Facebook. Um, and there's also a email sign up kind of subscribe sort of component. So you can stay in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for doing this with, especially with this time difference. That was pretty, it's a pretty epic because it's not even just time. It's also a different day there, right? It's yeah, we're from the future. I'm yeah. speaking you like back to the future. I finally speaking was able to fly. <laughs> I was finally able to go. <laughs> I'm really is, happy for you. <laughs> I'm I'm speaking to you from Wednesday and I think it's Tuesday over there. Whoa. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So the, the weather's good tomorrow. <laughs> 
It's snowing here, so I doubt uh, it. <laughs> the weather's good here. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I love snow, but it definitely is not that. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow, that's not in my future. But yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, y'all. Please like, subscribe, rate, comment, whatever the platform you listen to podcasts on offers you as a way to let its algorithm know that you're enjoying these episodes. That really helps. Also, there's some links in the podcast description notes that allow you to support the podcast in a way that benefits you and us. So please check those out. And if you'd like to stay in touch with me, you can sign up for my mailing list at portersinger.com. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye.